The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 201 The First Martyr Finished with their slanderous testimony, the false witnesses sat down with the highly worked-up counsel. This legal assembly of 71 men, known as the Sanhedrin, was comprised of chief priests who were the heads of priestly families, Pharisees who were teachers of the law, Sadducees who were primarily priests and wealthy aristocrats, and elders representing the most notable families in Jerusalem. Even though Rome held political authority over Judea, the Jews saw this court as the real power governing them. The high priest, chosen by the Roman governor of Judea, was considered the highest authority on the council. The reigning high priests often consulted with the Roman authorities about how to keep the Jews happy with Roman control. Allowing the Sanhedrin to exist was one way to pacify the Jews and prevent them from rebelling against Rome. The Sanhedrin had power to judge religious and minor secular matters. However, Rome retained the power to execute criminals. The accusations brought against Stephen were fabricated to make him appear to reject Moses and the law and to advocate disloyalty to the temple. These were serious charges that were sure to incense each council member. Not even the apostles had been accused of such heinous crimes against Judaism. Stephen remained calm, standing alone before the Sanhedrin. The false charges did not make him afraid. He was not surprised by the dark looks cast at him by the Sadducee leaders. They had lost many of their number when a great company of priests left Judaism to follow Jerusalem's new movement. While those priests were convicted through his messages, Stephen knew that it was Christ who had spoken through him. A threatening silence filled the room until the high priest cleared his throat. <clears throat> Stephen focused his full attention on the surly, wrinkle-faced old man. The high priest looked squarely at Stephen. Are these accusations true? He asked. Stephen knew everything that had been said against him was untrue. But reading the offended looks on the faces of the high priests and the council, he knew their minds were prejudiced against him. How could I even begin to defend myself? He wondered. These men have the most educated minds in all of Judea. 
yet they are so ignorant. They cannot see that Jesus Christ was laboring among them to wake them up to their wretched spiritual state. He knew these men had not listened to a word Peter and the apostles had said to them. So why would they listen to him? Then the Holy Spirit filled him with power, and he knew exactly how to answer the high priest's question. These men need to remember their history so they can understand the prophecies being fulfilled before their eyes. It would not be an easy message for him to deliver or for the council to hear. Brothers and fathers, hear me. He began with conviction. The great God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he lived in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. He commanded Abraham, Go out from your land and go into the land that I will show you. Abraham quickly and willingly obeyed. He went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. When his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you now live. However, God did not give him any inheritance in it, not even a square foot of it, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he did not have a child. Stephen scanned the crowd. Looking into their eyes, he had their attention, but he wondered. Do I have their hearts? God also explained to Abraham, your descendants will live in a foreign country where they will be slaves and will be treated badly. But I will pass judgment on the people they will serve. And 400 years from today, your descendants will come out of that country and will worship me in this place. Then God gave Abraham the ceremony of the circumcision as a sign of the covenant. So Abraham circumcised Isaac a week after he was born. Isaac circumcised his son Jacob, and Jacob circumcised his twelve sons, the famous fathers of our race. Stephen was reminding them of their noble beginnings with faithful and righteous Abraham. However, these Jewish leaders were not acting like their father Abraham. Stephen continued, our fathers, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions. God gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all of his household. Stephen wanted them to see that history was repeating itself. They had been jealous of Jesus Christ, just like the patriarchs were of their younger brother, Stephen made the point clear that even though the fathers were jealous of one of their younger brothers and mistreated him, God was with Joseph and greatly blessed him. Things did not go as well for the fathers, Stephen thought. He again looked over the gathering of Jewish leaders. Several council members were shifting nervously in their seats. They didn't like hearing about how cool the fathers were toward Joseph. They knew that Joseph's older brothers wanted to kill him. They had successfully killed Jesus Christ. Others looked puzzled. They are probably wondering where I am going with this history lesson. Stephen thought. 
Eventually, they fully understood, and they did not like what they heard. Then there came a famine throughout all of Egypt and Canaan, and a great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on the first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Stephen continued calmly. He was making the point that God used the brother they hated to save them from salvation. Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, seventy-five people in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in a tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. Stephen worked very hard to show the Jewish leaders that God was using Jesus Christ to save them from starvation spiritually. Stephen had several more important facts of history to bring out. However, he recognized that most of the leaders were growing agitated by his message. Yet full of the Holy Spirit, he was inspired to press on. He knew, without doubt, that what he had to say was exactly what they needed to hear. No hard looks of men could throw him off course. At this point in his message, Stephen reminded the council of Moses' history as God's chosen deliverer of Israel from Egypt. He reminded them about how Israel was multiplied in Egypt. Then a new king came into power who did not know Joseph. He enslaved the nation and forced the people to kill their sons. Then he spoke of Moses' birth and the faith of his parents. They kept Moses hidden for three months and then put him in a basket so he could be spared execution. Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses and raised him as her own son. This made Moses a prince of Egypt. He was given a top quality education and became a powerful leader in Egypt. Get on with it! Someone in the crowd yelled out. You're wasting our time! But Stephen was not deterred. He continued with Moses' history in dealing with the rebellious Israelites while still in Egypt. He reminded them about the time Moses killed the Egyptian and fled to Midian, where he stayed for 40 years working as a shepherd. He got married and had two sons. Why did Stephen go into so much detail? He had been accused of rejecting Moses. By reviewing this relevant history, he began to show these Israelites that rejecting Moses was a major fault of the nation from its earliest beginnings. He needed to show them they were rejecting Moses now. Stephen could feel the tension building in the room. To keep their attention, he started speaking with passionate but loving authority. Moses' experience at the burning bush came next in Stephen's message. 
he showed the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees and Sadducees that Moses was permitted to stand on holy ground and hear the voice of God. God told Moses that he had heard the prayers of the children of Israel in Egypt and saw their affliction. God made it clear to Moses that he had chosen him to deliver the Israelites from slavery. Stephen was reminding the council that God was working directly with Moses, just as he had with Abraham and Joseph. But the Israelites did not see God behind the man. Stephen knew the same could be said of many of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Stephen reminded the council that the Israelites had rejected Moses, asking him, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Then Moses led them out of Egypt, performing many wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea. He led them for forty years in the wilderness. In their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. Then Stephen brought up one more powerful lesson. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up you a prophet like me from your brothers, he receiving the lively oracles to give to us. Stephen stated, revealing the heart of his message. Their ancient fathers had rejected Moses. He had prophesied that in the future, God would raise up a prophet, an Israelite, just like himself, to lead them. Had a Moses-type prophet come on the scene? Stephen knew he had come. He had two final points to make clear. The council needed to be reminded that in the past, the Israelites rejected Moses' authority by turning to idolatry. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, talking with God, they pressured Aaron to make them an idol that looked like a calf. This greatly angered God. Why? Because when the people rejected Moses, they essentially were rejecting God. So God turned away from his own people and allowed them to worship the host of heaven and other gods. Then Stephen talked about God's tent in the wilderness and Solomon's temple. Here he began to defend himself against the charge of being disloyal to the temple. Did God expect his people to worship a tent or a stone building made with human hands? The temple existed to help people stay focused on God. Stephen looked intently at these spiritually empty men. He opened his mouth and heart to speak to them with utmost love and sympathy. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? Stephen said with a raised voice. 
he needed to make an impact in order to convict them of their spiritual blindness. Finally, he boldly stated the purpose in this important history lesson. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. With that, Stephen fell silent. He had faithfully delivered what Christ wanted him to say. Before God, he knew he was innocent of all charges brought against him. His sermon proved that the council was guilty of exactly what they were accusing him of doing. Did they repent? The entire council was incensed by Stephen's testimony. They exploded in tumultuous fury against him. They ground their teeth in anger. The atmosphere in the room turned dark like a foreboding thunderstorm. Stephen knew they were about to kill him. However, filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked up toward heaven. God gave him an encouraging vision that filled him with joy. Stephen announced to the murderous crowd, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. The council screamed out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They could not handle any more of Stephen's words. They all rushed him and thrust him out of Jerusalem. In a mad frenzy, they began to stone him. As they were stoning him, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then, being severely wounded, he fell to his knees. He cried out again with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Immediately after saying this, he died. One man in the council chamber did not cast even one stone at Stephen, though he guarded the outer garments of all those who did. This young man was highly educated, well known in Jerusalem, and a fiercely dedicated Pharisee. His name was Saul. Saul had been born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia that was heavily influenced by Greek culture and philosophy. He spoke fluent Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, and would have been considered a Grecian or Hellenist Jew. He was educated in the famous school of Gamaliel, who was held in high esteem by all Jews. The Pharisees were quite different from the Sadducees. The Sadducees believed the Torah or the first five books of the Hebrew Bible written by Moses was the only source of revelation. The Pharisees believed that the law God gave to Moses included more than just the first five books. 
there was also an oral law, which included the teachings of the prophets, plus the books grouped together called the writings. For example, Psalms, Proverbs, and Job. The Sadducees believed in a strict interpretation of the Torah. They emphasized the supremacy of the sacrificial system and worship at the temple. The Pharisees believed that men must use reason to interpret the Torah for application of contemporary problems. The Pharisees were more like a society of devout scholars. They developed their own oral traditions based on their interpretation of the Torah. They wanted Judaism to become more democratic in order to get away from the authority and control of the priests. This gave them great favor with the people. Yet they had their own strict views of proper law-keeping and proper worship of God. They stressed the need for personal Bible study and spiritual experience, which actually burdened people and led to a life of self-righteousness and hypocrisy. It was Saul's Pharisaic training that led him to start a vile and violent persecution against God's people. Saul was disgusted by Stephen's sermon. Who does this man think he is? He thought. When the council exploded in outrage and rushed to take the young fool captive, he was with them step for step. This man deserves to be stoned, he told his friends standing nearby. He wanted to make sure they knew where he stood. After they rushed Stephen out of the temple and the city to the place for stoning, Saul stood by to ensure the man was executed quickly. Saul's friends dumped their coats at his feet, and he appreciated their trust that he would guard their well-made overcoats. When Stephen looked into the sky and claimed that he saw into heaven, Saul was stunned for a moment, but he quickly put it out of his mind. Stephen was probably blacking out due to the blows to his head he was likely to see anything but when he witnessed the young criminal fall to his knees and call out to Jesus to forgive his executors Saul felt a pang of guilt briefly he quickly brushed it aside more convinced that those of Stephen's ilk had to be dealt with in the same way anyone man woman or child advocating destroying Judaism by following the teachings of a dead Messiah deserves death, he thought. Saul remained on the scene until the followers of Jesus came to take Stephen's lifeless body away. The men were grieving openly. Saul took note of who came to pick up the body. From that day forward, Saul made widespread destruction of the church in Jerusalem. He hunted down God's people, entered their houses, took them captive, and threw them into prison. It was his personal plan to go after the people, not necessarily their apostles. In the long run, however, his efforts were fruitless.
While God's people fled from Jerusalem, God's Holy Spirit led them to preach the word everywhere they went. The apostles of Christ bravely remained in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ still had a work for them to do in the city he and his Father have chosen. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church. Thank you.